baselines.com podcast coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida and Marion, Massachusetts. Hosted by Ed Chenefee, this is the podcast that researches and investigates the club management and facility side of our business. Carrie Buck grew up in the industry and she stayed in the industry. Tennis and country clubs were part of her childhood growing up there in Cape Cod in the summers and she never let those memories dull as she made tennis a big part of her life both playing and teaching. Hi, and welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm Ed Shanafee, your host, and it's a pleasure and honor to bring you the news and views from our country club tennis and fitness industries each week right here on the podcast. We reached a milestone this month, 10,000 listeners to the podcast. Who knew we'd find this niche? Well, we found it, and we thank you for being one of our listeners and stopping by. Carrie Buck has worked in our industry in so many ways. As a team's general manager in World Team Tennis, working with some of the biggest names and players, to dotting the I's and crossing the T's as Southern Cal's USDA marketing specialist, to being one of the few female directors of tennis we have in our country. Carrie has done it all. Throughout all her roles within our industry, she notes that customer service is really the one criteria that all employers, whether a club, TV channel, or an association, it's the one thing that we should all look at when we look at candidates to hire. Too often, we forget to try to match the candidate with the customer service ethos of the hiring entity. Before I welcome Carrie to the line, please ensure you check out our website at beyondthebaselines.com and look at all we do within our industry, from executive search and mentoring through to full management of clubs to consultancy with facilities. We're the leading team of experts in the country club industry. So go check out our website and add your name to our mailing list. You can receive our monthly helpful tips newsletter, make your club better and better and best in class. But now, let's hear from someone who literally understands that the buck stops with her. Here's Carrie Buck. Well, thank you for listening in, in on the podcast here at Beyond the Baselines. My name is Ed Shanty. I'm your host. And this week on the line, we have a wonderful female director of tennis. Uh, they are known as unicorns in the industry. Not my wording, but other people's words. Um, but Carrie Buck, thank you for being here and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ed. Great to be here. Glad to have you. So, Carrie, you have just uh, moved into a new career line. You, you left Los Angeles Tennis Club uh, end of November 2020, and you've been out there in California working. I looked at your resume and, and where you've been in, in your life in tennis and the industry. I stopped at the San Diego Aviators. Uh, you're the GM for that for a season. World Team Tennis, take us through a season at World Team Tennis. What are the ups and downs and the problems and issues that face you as a GM for, for one of those teams? Yeah, it was, it was great. Um, World Team Tennis has always been one of my favorite formats. It's just a really fun format. Um, for matches and the the fans really get into it and the you know the players can get get into it as well so it's a lot of fun but it is a lot of work and it's a lot of details um, each team has its own management staff and and crew um, and most of them are not real big so there's a lot to be done and um, you not a lot of hands to get it done so um, one of the things it's sort of the start of the season is early. Uh, I would say March was when we used to do the draft. So prior to March, you're sort of forming your team. I would spend lots of time on the phone with our coach, John Lloyd, about looking at which players were possibly available and building your team. You don't just want to grab players. You want to build a team and you want to build a team that has that good, uh, 
you know, gets a good vibe and a good fit with everybody so that the entertainment part of the, you know, the entertainment value is there with the right team. So you really want to build a team, not just a, not just a group of players. So talking about the draft, um, we did a lot of work on that prior and Mm -hmm. draft was, the draft was generally held at Indian Wells in March uh, during the, during the BNP tournament. Um, So that was a lot of fun and it's set up just like a regular draft. I mean, each, each team comes up and picks their player and, People are trading and, you know, whatnot. So it was kind of, it was a really fun experience. Once you get your team, um, your main players at the draft, you've still got other spots to fill in. And, you know, not every player that you draft is going to be able to play every match. So you're always moving around and you're always trying to find that, that other player that can come in. So that's a tricky part. Um, Our coach, again, John Lloyd did a lot of that. He knows the players so well. Um, From my past experience with tennis channel, I knew a lot of the players as well too. So we worked really, I really enjoyed working with him as a team. GM, you're dealing with players, you're dealing with uh, sponsors, you know, looking for sponsors, vendors, advertising, um, getting advertisers for your program, but also advertising in local magazines, things like that. So, um, and making sure everybody's aware of it, you know, make sure everybody knows that this is coming up and really trying, you know, one of the things we really worked on, and I think that um, they continue to work on and do a, do a good job with is trying to make world team tennis, not just something that happens in the summer, Mm -hmm. that people are aware of all year round. As you said, you spend time as a general manager at sales and marketing and advertising. Now I see, you know, you, you were director of marketing and communications for the United States tennis association, USTA. Um, you know, this has been an interesting year in terms of coming out of COVID and how the USTA is going to, you know, continue this in, this increase in play. Obviously, the right. increase probably won't happen again. We're not going to add another 22% play as we did last year. But if you were in that position right now, what, what do you think you'd do to try to keep all the people that we got into the into the game over the last 18 months? How would you, how would you, you know, set up a, a strategic plan to keep them in the game. Yeah, that's a tricky one. And that's something that I've been asking a lot of people about myself. Um, I was director of marketing for the Southern Cal section. So Southern Cal's, a, you know, it's a big tennis hotbed and, and we're just now starting to have tournaments again. I know a lot of sections were having tournaments straight throughout the whole year and we're just, we're just getting back into tournaments and just getting back into leagues here. So hopefully um, because we're coming out of this at the same time that we're, you know, that we're opening up our tournaments and our leagues. A lot of people will stay with the game. Um, I have questioned a lot of people though, like, you know, a lot of the kids that couldn't go play soccer or basketball, they started playing tennis. So now all of a sudden if soccer and basketball are available, how do we keep them in the game? Right. Keep them there. And that's really, you know, that's, that's up to our marketing efforts. That's up to how we present the sport. It's still going to be, a super safe sport for those people that are still worried about COVID and whatnot. Um, It's, you know, and I think we just really need to sell the great aspects of the sport. I mean, the numbers, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I wish I did, but the number of, you know, the percentage of kids that play tennis that also get great grades or that go off to college or all those type of things, because tennis is one of those sports that, you know, you're out there, it's just you, your coach isn't on the court with you during a tournament. You've got to figure it out and you've got to solve the problems and you've got to come up with plans and strategies and whatnot. And you got to do it on your own. And, and we're talking little kids trying to do this on their own. So the, the skills that tennis builds for you for the future, um, I mean, we all know that 
I mean, maybe we don't all know, but I've always felt and I've always been sort of coached with the idea that that playing any kind of a sport is going to make you a stronger type of a person and a stronger personality, more confident, those type of things. Um, and tennis is just like at the top of that list for me because it does do so many things for you. It does, you know, if you're playing doubles, you've got to work with the teamwork. And again, problem solving. My forehand's not working today. What am I going to do about it? So really, I think pushing... Um, some of those aspects present to the parents mostly, I mean, for these kids, present to the parents that this is a safe place for them to play, a safe sport for them to play, a sport that's going to help them grow and mature and, and gain confidence and, and, you know, sort of help shape their future a little bit. Um, I'm all for, you know, the stuff that I've learned through tennis and through my career. I wouldn't have traded any of it, you know. Um, it made me who I am today. And I think that those are the type of things that we need to do. And we need to keep these programs going and make these programs accessible and affordable for everybody so that we keep these kids in the game. Because if we lose them all again, that would, that would definitely not be a good thing. Well, I, I think the USDA is, is well-placed. I think they've gone through a strategic, uh, you know, round in a roundabout way that COVID came at the right time for them because they were going through a strategic change anyhow. Right. And I'm hoping that they, you know, fund us, fund us, meaning the instructors, because it's the, it's the guys and gals on the ground that Mm -hmm. really keep a junior at the tennis club or on the court. It's, it's not, you know, it's not an overarching supervising body. It's, it's the, it's the coaches and, and, and the high school coaches and the junior high school coaches and mm-hmm. the JTT coaches and the country club coaches. And those are the ones that keep the kids enthralled and inspired. And, and, and I hope that, you know, we put the money in the right places for, for yeah. that to keep, keep yeah. them in. Yeah. Hey, I've always hey. kind of thought like USTA has the players and USPTA, PTR, those organizations have the coaches. And what we've got to figure out is a way to get them all working together for a common goal. Cause they all have the same common goal. More people playing tennis. I'd like to welcome our first sponsor here at BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, and that's Play by Court, PlayByCourt.com. Choosing the right technology partner is not an easy task. However, staying with the same outdated provider can be a costly decision. And with today's fast-changing environment, well, you need a partner that will help you adapt to the ever-growing needs of your members. At Play by Court, well, they provide the best technology solution customized for your club with their app. Your members can easily manage their profile. They, they can book courts, programs, lessons. They can pay. I asked Andre, show me the payment solutions. It's fantastic. And your members can communicate directly with members and you, the staff. So please go have a look at playbycourt.com and see what really matters most to your members. Your club, your rules, your software. Playbycourt.com. I, I used the word unicorn earlier to, yeah. you know, to introduce you. And I have not used that word. I, it's been used by a couple of female uh, tennis pros that I've, I've had podcasts with and talked to. But it's been used to describe, you know, the, the, the non-existence of female directors of tennis. You guys are called unicorns. But you've been the director of tennis. Why do you think you got where you were and, and are? And why do you think there is such a, a, you know, a dearth of female directors of tennis? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's an interesting topic and it's a a topic that's discussed a lot. Um, If you just look at the basic numbers, like let's go with USPTA because the one I'm more involved with, but 22% of their pros are women. 
So if you, so a lot of it is just a numbers game. If it was 50% of them were women, maybe we'd have 50% tennis directors, who knows? But so, so it's important to understand the number before you go in and, and just say there's no, there's so few tennis pro, you know, so few, so few female tennis directors. Um, but I do think the numbers are growing. And I really think as, as a woman tennis director, I mean, part of my goal and my job is to make sure and encourage and educate some of these younger women coming in. Maybe it's, maybe they're tennis on campus players, you know, maybe they didn't, or maybe they're college players. Um, that, that just have a real love for the sport and explain and show to them that this is a viable career path and encourage them and make sure they have a great experience with them so that we can build our, our chain as they go through the ranks of, you know, being a pro or a head pro and then to a tennis director. Um, I also think it's really important to present and promote all these other women pros. If they, if someone's got a webinar coming up or conferences or podcasts, things like this, promoting women in the industry is really important. And when I first came into the industry, I, I mean, I was so young, I didn't really think about stuff like this, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But I did notice that it seemed like there was competition among the female pros. And now there's so much support among them. And I think that's a huge step forward. Um, and I think that that will encourage more women to, to be there because they feel like they've got that support network, whether it's a mentor um, or whatnot. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, in order to move up the ranks, I think it's it's important for for women to learn as many business skills as they can, learn budgets, learn pro shop stuff, learn everything you can about management, because eventually you'll be at that stage where you could be the next in line if you're ready. So make sure you know I would tell you know encourage all these young women pros to make sure they're ready, and don't spend all your time teaching, but spend your time learning. Find a mentor. Find a role model that you can work with. And, you know, I hear stories all the time of the, the women getting pigeonholed into the junior program. They only let me do 10 and unders. Well, show them how great you are at it. Um, talk to them about how much value you've added to the program and that you're willing to take on some other new challenges as well. You know, so I think that's really important, too, is sort of sort of reshape how you look at it. Um, I'd love to see a lot more women tennis directors. I feel like um, a lot of the women directors that I know have such a good sense of communication and understanding and, and uh, really thinking through things that need to be done as a, as a tennis director and as a manager and, and whether it's programming or member communications or whatnot, I feel like they just do a really great job with that um, and put more of a personal touch on it than some of their male counterparts. And I don't mean that in a, a negative to the men, obviously inherent in women that's that, maybe is a little bit more emotional and more compassionate, whatever. Um, you know, and I think that that's, that's important to, to, uh, to do. You bring up a great point there. And, and this is a point, this is why I found it beyond the baselines is is you said get off the court, stop teaching, and get into the business skills. Now you spent nine years at the Tennis Channel, mm-hmm. and and I think you can probably say that those nine years, from where you started at the Tennis Channel to the your ninth year, you actually didn't teach tennis. You know, you were learning business skills. Exactly. And, and the number one complaint I get in this industry 
and working with directors of tennis and working with club governing boards is that, oh, he's, he or she is great on the court, but we just can't get them to do the paperwork. We can't right. get them into the meetings correctly. We can't get them to, to see the bigger picture. And what you just said is exactly what search committees and club governing boards should be looking for in a director of tennis. You, can, you have to have the court experience, but in actuality, that's just a small part of the job. Tell, tell us how you learned your business experience at the Tennis Channel nine years and how you brought that into being a director of tennis as a female. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've throughout my whole career, whether it was on court or off, I've always been um, trying to figure out how to make things all work together. Like, what can I take from what I teach on court to the office and what can I take from the office to on court and how can they, how can I put them together in a package that makes it all work? Um, and really with, you know, I, I, I knew I didn't want to be on the court all the time. So I, I just, but I did know I wanted to be in the industry still. So that's, that's the, the route that I took. And even during those nine years at the tennis channel and, and at USG, I was still on court coaching um, in my free time. I had a, a, always had a group of students I was working with. So I was still using that but it was a great place to take some of these communication skills I may have learned or, you know, listening skills, really listening. I mean, you think about a tennis lesson and, and who's the one doing all the talking? It's the pro, but maybe the pro should be doing some more listening too. Um, so really taking those skills, like I said, the verbal communication, presentation skills, um, listening skills, all those, and now taking them back into a club setting. I just felt like I was so much more prepared than I had been before all of those things understanding, uh, you know, at Tennis Channel, I did a lot of uh, client relations type of work and making sure that our sponsors and our, our advertisers were getting what they needed on their end, not just what we thought they wanted, but what they actually were looking for. And it's the same thing with, with our met with club members. What do they really want? Like, what do you, what do you have to give and what do they, what do they really want? And hopefully those, those mesh together. Otherwise there's a problem, you know, so all of those skills, whether it's, you know, and then you've got to, you know, work in the pro shop or whatever, um, those type of things. And I did a lot of social media work with Tennis Channel. So that's a big plus nowadays is, you know, being able to get those newsletters written or updating websites or keeping social media, uh, the pages and the platforms, keeping those up to date and engaged and not just putting up a post, but really getting that engagement with it and working with your members and, and your students or, you know, um, I say members because last I was at was a club. Mm -hmm. um, so spent a lot of time at resorts as well. But so whether it's a whether it's a resort guest or you know you own your own company where you you've got you know a private court and you're running all these clinics, those marketing skills are so important. And I loved when I first stopped teaching tennis and was looking for a job. And so many people I passed me up because all I had done is taught tennis. And then I, I ran into one guy that wanted me to work for him right out of the shoot. And he's like anybody that has spent this much time coaching and gotten to that level of anything is going to be good and passionate at whatever they do. They're not going to do something that they're not passionate about. He goes, and that's what I'm looking for. And I was like, wow, this is great. Somebody that finally understands that as a tennis director, you're not just feeding balls. You're doing so much more and you've got to be organized and you've got to be detail oriented, but you, you know, you got to look at the details, but you also have to look at the big picture. And I think a lot of times um, when you're just on court all the time, it's a small picture you're looking at. You're looking at this one lesson, you know, um, right. I think being, you know, that, that shared time of on and off court is so valuable. 
And yeah, it's tough. I mean, a lot of pros don't want to take the time off the court to learn a new skill or whatnot because their income is coming from their time on the court. And I totally get that. But down the road, it's invaluable to have that experience you know, well, and build you, you those hit, skills. You, you, yeah, build the skills. You hit a great point in that our compensation packages are a bit skew, skewed. And they're skewed you know, in an odd way that probably you know, prohibits some, some people to see the bigger picture. You know, what happens is, you know, a lot of pros I see get brainwashed. Hey, I've got to be on the cage. I've got to be on the court. It's an hourly rate, this, this, this. I got to, I got to pack the court. I got to be, well, yeah, you can pack six courts if you market well. You can only pack one court if it's you on the court. Right. And, and you just said it. You said, you know, it's, it's marketing. And, and it's funny, you know, I, I'll be a little personal here. My, my father, I worked for my family firm for 20 years. And uh, I expanded into the UK and then, and then I opened offices in, in Dublin and, and Australia. And my father today says that I do more marketing than I did when I owned and operated mm -hmm. an advertising firm. And he's right. I actually have to be more creative because I have one product and that product is tennis. You know, back in the day when I was in, in an advertising firm, I had tons of products. I had BMW, I had Oracle, I had, you know, I had all kinds of different products to work yep. with uh, seeds, um, you know, uh, soaps, uh, all kinds of things. And you can get very easily, you know, uh, creative with different products, but we have one product and that product is right. tennis. Yep. Um, and, and so you have to be almost more dynamic to be a marketer in, in, in our, in our sphere. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I also think about, think about like also pros where are pros that are at multi-pro facilities. If you don't know right. how to market yourself, Someone's going to get those lessons instead of you, you know, mm -hmm. so even just as a teaching pro, you've got to have those marketing skills. You've got to have that, you know, your, your pitch, if you want to use that expression, right? You want, you want the members taking a lesson from you, not the other guy. And well, it, you said women are competitive amongst themselves. Now, hopefully yeah. they're not as competitive, but no, I don't, I don't think they are. They're much more supportive now and they want to grow the, the female demographic in our sport. What do you believe are the qualities that are most important for a director of tennis? What, what do you believe? I, obviously, we're talking about marketing, but what about other qualities? What, what are the most important qualities for a director of tennis in our industry at this moment? Oh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> you know, obviously, a director needs to go in, like if they're going in for an interview, knowing what, knowing what they can do and what they want to do what's their goal and what's their expectations the club also needs to go in saying what are their goal and expectations and find the right fit for that um you know and find maybe you're looking for a tennis director that's going to really focus on adults and you've got this great candidate that really has not focused on adults and has all been been all about juniors but he's got a great track record i'm like well maybe that's not the best one for that club even though he's got a great track record he hasn't done a lot of adults so I think that's something that, that you know, hiring committees or, or management or whatever needs to look at in terms of a tennis director. But I think that, you know, some of the things that I think are really important, um, not just in hiring a tennis director, but also just in a pro, is 
uh, for me, I think having somebody that has, is certified is super important, not just certified to be a member, but certified because they are wanting to invest in their career and they want to invest mm-hmm. in sport and they want to grow and learn. We all know those pros that have been doing the same drills for 25 years and haven't changed much. Um, I would be looking for someplace where I can, you know, someplace that supports me and my goal of continuing in that education. Um, and someplace that is, you know, I mean, I think that's really important is that you're looking for people that are, are going to continue to learn and continue to grow and want, you know, keep up with the new techniques, keep up with the trends, things like that within the sport. Um, you can't just go back all the time to, to what we did 20 years ago. It just doesn't work anymore. So you've got to do that. Um, I also think that, you know, it's, it's really important to know what a club wants and what they're looking for and what their members want. And maybe not just what the, the board of directors is looking at, but really what are the members looking at? So mm-hmm. skills, you know, specific skills, it's, it's, it's gotta be all about, you know, yes, on-court skills, obviously business skills that we've talked about, but even things just like basic communication and um, understanding of what your role is at a club is really important. And I think, you know, I like to ask people all the time. I do this all the time with, I do the uh, mentoring program with USPTA and I ask people this all the time about it. Like, okay, a young pro comes in. What, what industry are you in? I always like to see what their answer is. And they always say tennis. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're in tennis, but really what in, what in tennis are you? What is your role in tennis? You know, not, and I don't want you to say coach, like what's your role? What industry are you in? And they'll think about it for a little bit. And every now and then someone will come up with, hospitality or service. And that's really what it is. Tennis is the vehicle, but it's really about service and making sure that your management, your staff, your members, you know, all of that are getting taken care of and getting what they want out of it. Um, And that's, that can be tricky sometimes because, you know, at every club, you've got members that all want different things and you've got to figure out a way to get every single person, something that they're looking for. But to me, (laughs) really about that, that skill of understanding that, that it's a service that you're providing. It's, it's almost entertainment. It's, you know, you want your lessons to go out there and learn something and get a good workout and, and enjoy themselves and, and have a great service experience. And that I think is, is really important. Um, I also think it's, you know, I mentioned earlier, just the expectations. What are the expectations of the, the tennis director? What are the expectations of the management or of the board of directors or whoever it may be? Because those have to be real clear so that you can work together and not, you know, bumping heads or whatnot. Um, no, you, you, you bring up great points. I mean, I, there's an old adage in our, in our industry that the tennis pro should always have a car, you know, not as new and not as nice as their members. And as you said, you know, we are, as directors of tennis and as head pros and as instructors, we are a part of a hospitality team. Exactly. We're, we're in service and servitude <laughs> to the yeah. members. Yeah. And, and, and it sounds crazy, but the, the members at it, 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 it clubs, some clubs, they're equity owners and some clubs they pay, mm-hmm. you know, a corporation to be, you know, have the privilege to play on those courts. They are the bosses, you know, no right. and ifs or buts. And there's this, there, there have been, and, and you know, as well as I do, uh, there's a price put on our head sometimes because they'll <laughs> say, members will say, oh, that pro is making too much money. Well, how much service are they offering? Right. You know, and, 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 and one member will only see 
what they get from that director of tennis or what they get from that head professional. They right. don't always see what that head professional offers to 350 members on a weekly basis. Right, but exactly. And, and that's what you, as a director of tennis, I think, have to make sure the board, the larger group of the board and the tennis committees, cognizant of. Because if you right. don't, if you don't market yourself in such a way and make them cognizant of all that you do behind the scenes, then it does show a price on your head in, 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 mm -hmm. in retrospect. Do you yeah, agree with well, that? Yeah, I do. And I, and I think it's important for pro or, you know, tennis directors to have confidence without arrogance. You do have to, you do have to promote yourself. You've got to the tennis director spot. Doesn't mean you have to stop promoting. Um, you do have to promote yourself. You do have to show your management and your board and, and your members, the value that you add to the program. Mm -hmm. and you can prove that value people that that target comes off sometimes you know what i mean because they now see how much value you do add and they see how much work you do put in and they see the dedication you know and that's that's important um the dedication and the the i don't want to say loyalty but i i'll use that word here because i can't think of another one but to the club you have to you know the tennis director has to be invested in the club and invested in the members and you know we have a, a lot of clubs out here where a lot of the pros they literally come and do their lessons and they leave. Mm -hmm. And to me, they might be giving great lessons. That's awesome. I'm not saying they're not, but there's no investment in the relationship with the club itself. It's a relationship with your students, but not the club. And I think that that's really important to do is to build those relationships. Um, you know, your, your members want to see you on court because you're the tennis director, you should be on court, but they also want to be able to see you off the court and, and, have time with you and, and be able to talk to you about ideas they might have or things that are worrying them, or maybe it's, you know, talking about their backhand, even whatever it may be, but you need to be accessible to the members and not um, out on the court or locked away in your office all day. It sometimes can be hard. Some clubs want pros, you know, tennis directors on the court all the time. Others don't want their pros on the court because there's so many other things to be doing. I think a nice mix of both is what you really need. I think there's nothing better than getting out on the court as a foursome for, you know, as a fourth for a doubles match and really building those relationships. Because again, the relationships help build the service. When people feel like they know you well, or they can trust you and they, you understand them and you listen to them. That's when those, that relationships really grow and the, the investment in the club really comes. And the members do see that. Um, there's always going to be those ones that find fault at anything anybody does, but for the most part, you know, if you if you show that value and you show that you care about the members and you care about the club, they're going to see that, and that's really important. You know, I love the I, lo I love the, the I love what you just said. Confidence without arrogance. I, I think yeah. of um, I think of Roger Federer. You know, I mean, sometimes he verges on uh, arrogance to me, but he is extremely confident. And mm -hmm. and as you said, tennis takes you. Uh, it, it tennis forces you to understand it, it, society in a different way and in a better way, I think, because right. you're there by yourself. You don't have a coach. You don't have a mentor on the mm -hmm. uh, on the court, right, on the court. Yep. Um, confidence without arrogance is a, is, a, is a great is a great saying for us as, as, as directors. Mm -hmm. um, when when you're hiring an instructor, what qualities do you we've 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 talked about this already, but what qualities mm -hmm. do you not want to see? Like when you're hiring somebody, you know, as an instructor, junior instructor or head pro, what would turn you off in an interview? You know, I was always 
taught by some of my mentors and, and things like that is like, it's a, it's a cliche, but it's hire the smile. Okay. If you've got somebody that can teach and do it relatively well. And if you, if they couldn't, you probably wouldn't be interviewing them anyway, but Mm -hmm. you you can't, you can teach somebody some skills in teaching. You can help them upgrade their, their level of expertise and whatnot, but you can't teach them a personality. And so for me, personality is always really important and fit the right personality for the club. If you're a tennis director and you've been there a while, you know what your club is looking for. You know what they need. You know how they respond to people. You've got to find the right fit there. Um, I had a friend who was a college coach at one point and he had a player that wanted to come play on the team. An excellent player would have made a great addition to the team from a playing standpoint, but from a personality standpoint would not have fit in at all. And it was a tough, it was a tough uh, battle to try and figure out, do, do we want to spend this money on this player who may not even stay because it might not be a good fit for them. You know what I mean? So you mm-hmm. know, the fit is super, super important. So as if I was hiring a pro, first of all, I would be, okay, what are my needs and what are my expectations? And again, I keep going back to this. What are their goals? What are their expectations? What are they looking to do? Do they align? Because if those things don't align with what I'm looking for, it's, it's going to be a little bit tricky. Um, I also would look for someone that does want to get invested in the club and invested in the membership. And that also, there's a fine line in there where you're building relationship with members, but you also have to remember that you're the pro and they're a member, you know, mm-hmm. so you don't want to get too close, but building that trust makes it just, you know, makes for such a good partnership almost. Um, I also, again, the certification, someone that's looking to grow and learn. Um, I don't want someone that's, you know, been doing the same thing all the time and hasn't really changed their style or their, their technique or anything like that. Um, even just to try something new, do something a little bit different, um, you know, and, and making sure that they understand that you're, when you're out on the court with somebody, you got to make sure that they had a good experience. They enjoyed themselves. They had fun. They learned something. They got a workout. You know, what are they looking for in that lesson? Um, and I think, you know, I, I, I love trying to do sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Not sample lessons, but like watch them give a lesson mm-hmm. and how they react with people. Um, I did an interview years and years and years ago, right? Actually, when I was still in college and I had to go out on court and, and give a lesson, um, not knowing exactly what they were looking for. And I was, I literally, I was still in college. I was like a little kid, um, but it was great. I learned a lot from it. And then after talking to them afterwards, I learned even more of what I could have done, what I did well, but what I could have done even better or what I shouldn't do. So I want to hire someone that, that is looking to grow and learn and not think they already know everything there is to know. Um, and someone let me ask, let me ask you, Carrie, mm-hmm. you, you have a lot of experience, you know, nine years, at the tennis channel, uh, three years as director of marketing for the USDA, California. Um, who were your mentors? Who did you learn from and who did, because that is really important because they open you up to this universe of where we're at as directors of tennis, who, who really pushed your buttons? Who, who made you go for it? You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I would honestly say that my dad was one of my big mentors. And I know that sounds funny that a parent could be your mentor, but my dad got me into tennis and my dad was my role model for wanting to be a great player and everything like that. And then, you know, my mom was at the USJ for 30 plus years. So from the administrative side, I mean, 
I guess your parents really are kind of mentors. Outside of that, I've had other I've had other coaches that I've worked with that became not just on court coaches, but almost like not life coaches, but you know what I mean that that helped me sort of get through it. Um, and all industry people, I don't necessarily know if I want to name people out or embarrass anybody or whatnot, but, um, you know, people like John Embry at USPTA I've known for years and he has always been super, super supportive and great to bounce ideas off of, um, other people that I worked with at tennis channel, uh, Jennifer Arianas was a great mentor in terms of working there and helping navigate things and, and, she taught me something really valuable. She taught me that sometimes I can say no to things um, <laughs> because yeah. I would just get so overloaded with things. Like I didn't want to say I couldn't do it. So I would just get too much on my plate, you know, and she was one of those ones that was like, don't do that. Like just say no or say, I can't do it now. I'll do it next week, whatever it was. Um, and she probably doesn't even know that I would consider her a mentor, but I would. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, and just being around the industry. I mean, I grew up in it, you know, um, I was nine months old the first summer that my family ran a club on Cape Cod and we did it till I was 22. So literally I just grew up in that, in that atmosphere. Um, another person that it's interesting, this is when I was back living in Hawaii, uh, teaching tennis there at Kapalua. And there was a member there named Bob McInerney and he now lives in San Diego. Um, he was a tennis player and he just was always there for me. You know, he was a great player himself. He played senior tennis, all of that. He doesn't play anymore because it's just too, it's too tough on him. But I know that I can call him or reach out at any time and he will be there for me, whether it's whatever question I may have. And, you know, just knowing that is really nice to know and just gives you that level of, of comfort or whatever um, and all of his experience. Um, you know, on the other side, I, like I said, I mentioned that I'm doing the, the mentor program with USPTA and that's been hugely rewarding as well. And honestly, I think I've learned as much from my mentees as they have from me because I can draw on all my experience and share that with them, but I can draw on their fresh perspective on things. Um, so, you know, that's a relationship that works both ways. And um, mm -hmm. it's, you know, I think it's important to have a mentor. And everybody, you know, most of the mentors I mentioned were, were men. Um, I think that's because I got started in the industry so long ago that there were even, there were even fewer unicorns out there then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will say um, I learn a lot from my staff. You know, I, if you hire well, uh, if you listen, and I think that's the number one criteria for yep, a director of tennis is to listen and yep. listen to members and listen to your staff because the staff's out there. If you're not teaching that much, the staff's on the court. They hear the complaints. They hear the wants. They hear the desires. They hear the, the moans and the groans. And they come to you and say, hey, this is what I heard today. It's really important to listen to them. Uh, sure. you, you, you bring up, you know, a, a place special to my heart, which is Cape Cod. Yeah. Uh, and, and a club that is really special to us, Miano. I know mm -hmm. you spent your summers there. We, we just placed the director of tennis there last year. Wonderful guy named David DeSessa. And, and, and tell us how it was to, to, to grow up at a club where, you know, your family was there in the summers. It's a wonderfully um, beautiful, you know, uh, special place, Wiano. Um, tell us what it was like to grow up there and, and, and be a part of the tennis scene at, at, on the Cape. Oh, it was, it was amazing. It was like being at summer camp all the time. You know, we would spend our winter months and winter and spring and out here in LA 
and then pack up for a while. We would literally pack up the car and drive back to the co by back to the Cape. Um, and there were some summers we would fly and, and some summers, you know, dad and I would drive and my brother and my mom would fly or whatever it was. Um, but it was amazing being back. There was like being at camp all the time and I just loved it. And, you know, a typical day in, in my life was, well, first it was to get up and do the court work and drag the <laughs> and do lines. But then it was like, okay, I'd have a tennis clinic and then I'd go off for a sailing lesson. And then I'd come back and, and hit golf balls or go to the beach or whatever. I mean, it was, it was a pretty, uh, pretty nice way to, to grow up. And it was much more so than just a summer, you know, the Cape was just a summer place then. And so I had summer friends from all over the country and, and every summer it was great because we could all go back there and be there together for three and a half, four months and just have these great summers together. Um, you know, as I got older, once I was old enough, dad put my brother and I out on the courts, um, mm -hmm. kids teaching the little kids. So, um, that was always fun. And then starting to work with more of the members and eventually, you know, we, we always hired somebody to come with us from, uh, oftentimes from the West coast. Other times we'd get a reference from someone back there, um, to be an assistant pro and to help in the pro shop. And then as my brother and I got older, we were those people and we helped in the pro shop and then we were the assistant pro and then dad could sit in his Adirondack chair on the desk and watch us do all the lessons, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> he'd earned the right, um, uh, you know, so it was, it really was a, a magical place to, to be. Um, and I still feel that way. I got to play there, I guess it was two summers ago, mm -hmm. last on the Cape and played right on the first court there and had a grudge match with my brother who lives outside of Boston right now. But um, I won't tell you who won, but I will tell you that I didn't buy the beers afterwards. Um, so, you know, it, it really, there's so many good memories there. So many memories there. And um, I just, I love going back there whenever I can. But again, growing up at a club, it, it just, it shaped me. It, sh it, it taught me so many different things that I maybe wouldn't have learned otherwise. Um, and that's why I always say like, you know, my goal with tennis is that tennis has given me so much. I've met amazing people. I've traveled all over the world from, you know, Paris and Madrid all the way to, to Melbourne, you know, all because of tennis. And it's given me so much. And my goal with tennis, with whatever position I have, is to give as many people as I can that same opportunity to have that love for the game and to get those wonderful friendships and experiences out of the game. And I know it sounds like kind of, whatever cliche or whatever, but that really is how I feel. Um, and that giving back to the game is so important because it's given me so much. I'm on the other side of Warren bridge from Wiano and yeah. um, they're in the Cape and my daughter's 12 and yes, she some days doesn't want to get up and sweep the courts uh, and do the lines. <laughs> um, but she is, she hears me on the phone, hears me dealing with contracts through the winter for different pros and, and different you know, vendors, and she is understanding what it is to to, to run a business. And right. basically, your dad ran a business at Wiano, and yep. I run a business at Cipercan, and you've run businesses at several clubs. It's been great having you on the on the podcast because I think you have given not just females, but all directors of tennis and everybody in our industry an idea of what it's like to to be a self-made person, which you've done through your family's history and experiences and your business experiences. 
you've done it. You've made it happen, and you're still here. And uh, we've been really honored to have you on the on the on the program today. And thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. It's been great. BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. It's a pleasure bringing you each week's news and views and great guests from our tennis, fitness, and country club industries. You can always reach the team here at BeyondTheBaselines at gmail.com or on the phone at 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website at www.BeyondTheBaselines.com, which is updated regularly with even more information for you, your club, or your facility. See you again soon.